Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Then you have pancakes, and then you have toasted bagels with smoked salmon. Uh-huh. Then you have baked eggs, which is a Victorian recipe, right? Coddled. Uh, coddled. I call them coddled. That followed by another Victorian recipe, which is kedgeree with chutney, which is fantastic. Followed by a kind of fruit salad concept. So that's Mark Ellen. Then you get a glass of then you get a glass of for sparkling wine. That's it's two o'clock in the afternoon, by then. That's Mark Ellen describing the average breakfast round at his seven course breakfast. Making Matt it Hall, works. Making Matt Hall <laughs> almost faint with hunger. <laughs> Is it just you and the missus? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 that would be good. That's the way we live in the Chile. kids away. If our digital editor Fraser was here, of course he'd be salivating because, as you know, he is working his way through the entire alphabet. Yes. Uh, eating unusual foods. Yeah. Eating unusual animals. Oh, yeah. unusual animals. That's the point. Is he's that... got to queue, and I can't remember what he's had. It wasn't a quail, because that's not very unusual, is it? It's probably not. Not a chizzy. Anyway. Work <laughs> no, it's it's He usually has a cold one in the fridge. That's right. There's one behind his ear for later. Yeah. <laughs> so this is, this is the Word Podcast. Uh, Matt Hall. Say hello. hello, Matt. Hello, Matt. Mark Allen, you've already heard about his hello, breakfast. Matt. Yes. Uh, and uh, David Hepworth. Lots to talk about this week, chaps. Is In that... a packed programme, as I, they used to say. I can envisage a long, a long time coming <laughs> before we wind this one down. Oh, what have we? It, I've missed out. I've been well, away. It's, it's full. Of, you've been away absolutely ages ago, though. You've been back for weeks. I'm, I'm still out of touch with Pop and Rock. Yeah, it was an old joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so, I'll take you a sideways look at the rock seeded beyond. But listen, the big. The big news, which struck like a thunderbolt about six o'clock yesterday afternoon, is Bo Diddley is no more. Bo Diddley. Hey, somebody, I interviewed Bo Diddley. Did you I ever interviewed Bo Diddley. I interviewed him first. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. When and it went you, really well. We did, really got on well. When did you interview Bo? I interviewed him uh, in, I suppose it was 1984 or something. He played uh, a rectangular guitar and a terrific hat. He always had a cowboy hat. And one he? of the questions uh, I asked him. He always had a rectangular guitar, didn't he? Uh, yes, not absolutely always, I a think, lot of the I time. A lot One of the of questions I asked him, which I don't think I got a satisfaction, well, I certainly can't remember the response to it, was, um, it wasn't really a question really, it was a statement, which probably why I didn't get a response, which is, Bo Diddley is literally the greatest name ever. 
But you think? Because both bits of it are really good. Bo and Diddley. Well, you said this to him. Yes, I did. Maybe we were warming up before the cameras rolled. And but I can he... remember thinking, just to be called Bo Diddley is just absolutely... What is his real name? I can't remember. Some Brian... Ellis McDaniel. Ellis McDaniel. Or Ellis Bates, and then Ellis McDaniel, and then Bo Diddley. Then Bo Diddley. Apparently, Diddley Bo is where it comes from. It's, it's an old... Uh, it's an African instrument. Oh, right. Or an African instrument that got bow. transported to the United States, a diddly bow. So when I heard the news yesterday, I, I was having a discussion with my uh, GLW over who was the most important person to die yesterday, Yves Saint Laurent or Bo Diddley. Well, come on, this is a ludicrous conversation to be having on the word podcast. <laughs> she the said, word codpiece, sorry, as Paul Dunoy now calls it. She said one of them changed women's literature for good. In the, in the auster- after the austerity and the other was Yves Saint Laurent and no. I said and the other one played a, 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 a oblong guitar <laughs> you see I go, no <laughs> I go further with Bo Diddley I think Bo Diddley invented rock and roll let's be fair I think you know he never got the fame that his achievement warranted I think there's also a good case for saying in terms of his self-aggrandizement in, in his song he invented rap music absolutely oh this but, is good no no seriously if you listen it, oh, no, it's seriously. not subterranean homesick blues then we've gone well, back to because all Diddley. that stuff comes from the same thing you know that the, the, comes from the other yeah. dozens and trash talking and, yeah. and your mama and all that yeah. kind of stuff that, that he turned into into the basis of his act he was the original gangster rapper I seem to recall yes <laughs> Bodily was a gunslinger long before oh. You know, Usher was oh, yeah. even thought of. You know, Bo Dilly was five hundred percent more man. You know, a red-blooded individual. He was, and he invented his own beat. Now, how many people have invented their own beat? To be fair, he put his Bo name Dilly. on his on the beat. Well, they will be people who tell you that. Presumably, an that, African beat. Right? I suppose it is. Yeah. Yeah, because they used to call it what? Uh, shave and a haircut, two bits. That's where it comes from. <laughs> shave and a haircut, two, two bits. bits. Is that right? Oh, yeah, it's it's an old. It's an old African-American yeah. thing, I suppose, that probably goes back to Africa, I suppose. Well, not, <laughs> it wouldn't be called shaving a haircut two bits. But what uh, a great um, self-mythologist and self-promoter, really, because also he called one of his songs Bo Diddley. Yeah. It's the yeah. first, first record I was trying Bo to think Diddley. on the way in this morning, apart from Hey, Hey, We're the Monkeys, and uh, I can't think of any others, actually. There must be some others, people who mentioned it. There are Ballin other people. Ballin' John and Yoke, that's true, yeah. There must be another, actually. I've done this as a list once. Did now you? it's gone out of my head. But, yeah, not only did he do his own uh, song called Bo Diddley, but also other people, like the animals, did the story of Bo Diddley. That's right. Um, you know, which is a tune about meeting Bo Diddley. You know, and it's, it's just a fantastically charismatic name. And uh, But the thing that gets me, I've decided recently, now bear with me on this. Some <laughs> <laughs> What's the headline for this? Proper Bo. Is it? Bo Selector. So carry on. Bo. <laughs> Bo, there, it is. there it is. It's a Bow Bitchery. It's a Bow Bitchery. <laughs> if you will. Uh, <laughs> some records from the 1950s, some classic records from the 1950s, go back and listen to them. They kind of sound a bit corny a little bit now. Bow Diddleys do not sound corny. Not at remotely. All. They absolutely fly. They're off a the racket. Record. They're a racket. And they have an echo to them. They are better. Exciting. Than Chuck Berry's records. The only other Not guy, lyrically, but yeah, probably no, in sound. No, okay. Well, maybe probably in sound. The only other guy in terms of guitar sound around that time, I don't know whether he, he was presumably after, was Link Ray. And that was the same kind of. Yeah, Link Ray. That's, that's yeah. a signature, isn't it? Yeah. That, that uh, yeah, yeah. sort of swamp sound. But yeah. Bo did it so many times, you know, and I think if, if, you, 
If you, you know, they, they often talk about, you know, the Rolling Stones got their inf- inspiration from, you know, blues and chess records and all this sort of stuff. stuff. Actually, they got their inspiration from Bo Diddley. Mm-hmm. You go listen to those first few Stones records, the way the Stones played Completely. not fade away oh, in the last time. And all that totally stuff. Basically. It was all that texture of that extraordinary guitar sound and that rattling percussion, you know. And the idea that you, you, you wanted to make a, a record was there to record a sound, not just a performance. Yeah. And if you go and listen to, you know, there are outtakes of Bo Diddley, you know, recorded at chess in the late 50s and 60s, where you can hear him instructing the band, you know. And he knew absolutely what he wanted. What's he telling them to do? Well, he, he just, you know, he, he's conducting the whole thing. He's talking through with his mouth how he wants the whole oh, thing to fantastic. sound, you know. Yeah. Well, and I don't think Chuck Berry ever did that. No, probably Chuck not. Berry, there was a thing about Chuck Berry which just kind of went back to Charles Brown and Nat King Cole and all these people, which was, it was clean and it was elegant yeah. and it was very cleverly executed. But I don't think it was dirty like Bo Diddley's records were dirty. Dylan used to do that, didn't he? Go Dylan, on. Dylan had such a clear idea of the sound of the songs that he would go in, but he didn't really have the technical vocabulary for it. So he would go in and tell people he wanted to sound more orange or he wanted a yellow mercury sound or whatever. And that was their instruction. They had to go away. And they can imagine them grumbling, you know, at lunchtime <laughs> yes. in the canteen. He wants a bloody mercury sound. Of <laughs> course, that's not even English. Yeah, we had that yesterday. We had that yesterday. It didn't work. <laughs> I tried that years yeah. ago. It was mercury sound. God, tell me. <laughs> He's making it up. Ladies and gentlemen, the sound of young there listeners. It was. Just stopped another, as soon as another another I fell. And is having their collar felt. <laughs> I'm going to say one more thing about Bo Diddley. Uh... Bo Diddley had a posse long before anybody else thought of it. Because Bo Diddley never appeared unless accompanied by Jerome, who played the Maracas, yes? Who was his kind of, his That's valet cool. and his butler and his main man, but also played, the, played cool. the Maracas. So they weren't bodyguards. It, they were just... He didn't... He was an Elvis-type gang. Who had a bodyguard in 1958? Nobody had a they bodyguard. They were just his gang. They were like Elvis. Well, they, they were part of his act. Uh, and the other person, let's not forget... The Duchess. Well, who was the Duchess? You know, is it the Duchess? The Duchess, he had a female guitar player. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, kind of rhythm guitar player. You can see, we've got put YouTube clips, put them on the website. Absolutely. It's just astonishing to see them. And the Duchess played a guitar which wasn't square, wasn't oblong, but she also played it while wearing a skin-tight, lurex, floor-length, Ball gown. She sounds first. Which is fantastic. Which is really great. I just suddenly had a flash just then when Dave said, uh, "Of course, there's the Duchess." And you and I looked up with our shiny-faced looks of awe and admiration. Went, Who's the Duchess? I thought this, program, this podcast is going more and more like QI with Stephen Fry. You know, when Stephen Fry just sits there and goes, "Of course, the uh, mating habits of the praying mantis are really quite extraordinary," and uh, everyone looks at him and goes, "Because Stephen, you know so much stuff." Have we ever done that? Have we ever done um, what the praying mantis? No, no. personal assistance in in rock. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, right, okay. Go on, start well, us. I'm, well, I'm, obviously, the classic one was, um, and I can't remember his name, which is terrible of me, uh, James Brown's manager. Oh, well, he had two. Who used to, who used to come on and... and um, he was his and, butler. And give the guy, his, and give Mr. Brown his cape. Uh, he, he was uh, the man who... Oh, right. Leaving the, leaving the he was the man who, at the beginning, you can hear him in the Live at the Apollo, you know, ladies and gentlemen, the yeah. hardest working man in show business. Oh, Mr. Please, please, please. Yeah. All that sort of stuff. So as he's saying that, he's holding a cape for James No, no, he came on. Yeah. When to come on. Yeah. collapsed and, and oh, worked yes, himself to a, to, a, to, a, to a cinder, worked himself to a cinder, he used to put the cape on James and lead him 
limping <laughs> to the side of the stage, at which point James Dripping would with Bruce. fly up in the air. Let me do some more. Which is and an act, incidentally, that yeah. Bruce Springsteen has uh, yeah, plagiarised brilliantly. But, but that's my, theatrical. I must go back and talk to my people. No, you'll have a heart attack. But my favourite my favorite ever kind of general factorum that I saw... Um, was um, LL Cool J. It's the first time that LL Cool J came to came to this country, and he had a stage set which basically involved a really, really big, massive boombox at the back of the stage, and uh, and and LL Cool J's uh, personal assistant was called E Love. Which is, uh, <laughs> That's great. Which was fantastic. And E Love came came, came from on. came from Yorkshire, came from Manchester. Yeah. Yeah. E Love. Oh, e- I see. Yeah. The show started by E Love e coming onto the stage, asking everybody if they wanted LL Cool J. You know, getting the crowd hyped up and then walking over to the boombox and pressing the eject button, at which point the tape deck came down and out stepped LL. Oh, that's <laughs> LL. That's that is super. And then also later on in the show, while when LL disrobed him, the upper part of his uh, fine, admittedly fine torso for the ladies, uh, E Love um, held his gold chains while he took this his first for E Love is that is a brilliant name. Supposedly, E Love. E Love sounds like a Kenny Everett character. There's going to be anyone called Brother Lee Love with he enormous did, hands yes, who yes. testified. But I don't know if I've seen it. that before. Uh. <laughs> we shall not see that like again. But if you go and see Bruce Springsteen, actually, to be fair, he uses every single trick on stage yeah, that he's every, ever seen absolutely. anybody yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. And he does that whole, uh, you know, I'm just a prisoner. Um, thing which James Brown's thing, you know, yeah. James Brown was a prisoner of soul, and you know he had to stay on stage. Yeah. And he does that that you know whole I'm just a prisoner of rock and roll, and he does that kind of Billy Graham stuff. You know, I want you to get it's up testified. out of your seat. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. He's, he's watched anybody yeah. who ever moved the crowd and yeah. worked out exactly how it works. But the one terrible mistake he made oh, like, yeah, well, is in Manchester a, last week. Yeah. Did you hear about yeah. this? Matt, you as a Man United fan will relish this. So Bruce Springsteen had just been in the UK playing Old Trafford. Yeah. And, Emirates. And, and we don't call it the Emirates because we no, don't get Arsenal. Arsenal. What was it? Thingy Grove. Whatever they call oh, it. Oh, that's yeah. Yeah. The Holloway, <laughs> Holloway. Ashburton Grove. The old rubbish dump. Yeah, okay. Yeah. The temple of all known evil. Um, <laughs> Anyway, he played two... And now Bruce Springsteen yeah. is well-known for making very good judgments about where he plays and what he can say to the audience what he can't. And yeah. he made a terrible... He, he obviously thought, great, playing in a, playing in a soccer stadium. Take two soccer stadiums. Lovely, I can make football references. Because you can do this in the United States. You go to Chicago. I've seen Genesis do this, you know, in Chicago. Three nights in Chicago. A on the trot, nothing changed. One night, night after the other, just went, how about them bears? Yeah. And the whole place just erupted yeah. in approval. You can't the do that. piece of paper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you can't do that in Britain. He goes on stage in Manchester and he says, well, it's great to be in the victorious city of Manchester. Oh, well, because, well, you know, man, <laughs> I mean, we're the European Championship. And uh, what he doesn't realise is, A, most Man United fans are in oh, Surrey oh, anyway. Uh, but, but, B, <laughs> B. but B, the, you know, the most popular football team in Manchester loathes Manchester United and all its works, let alone all <laughs> the people, who, not true, all the people who come down the road from Liverpool, come from Leeds, come from Glasgow. It's an explosive or statement anyway. Well, just, the other, the other you can't was, say it. You yeah. simply can't say it. And he must have been really puzzled by he got... Yeah, for the first time ever, he heard the sound that sounded like booing, and they weren't saying Bruce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were saying, don't interfere with that. You know, it's why Americans don't, don't get, get football. 
Because what they don't understand is what drives football is not love, it's hate. Yeah, in America yeah. they want their teams to win. It's a different thing. Whereas <laughs> <laughs> no, well, in this country we want uh, everyone else's team to lose. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's tribal animals. You want the others to suffer horribly. Yeah. So Bruce Springsteen played at the, at the, the Temple of All Evil up the road. And um, I have to confess I didn't go. Now, what, uh, two reasons. One, you I, live around the corner from I me. live quite near. <laughs> did he know that you were, He must have been thinking, there's an empty seat there. I'm going to be quite A little card on it saying David Hepworth and Mrs. David Hepworth. I'm not going to go on till they're here. They only live around the corner. I want to know if they can walk. I want to know if there are people listening out there to the podcast who sympathise with my point of view, okay? I'm, I'm going to confess this. A, a good friend of mine who's an Arsenal supporter... Ages ago, when the get dates was first announced, said, I bought the tickets, brilliant, I've got the tickets, we're all going, and by then they'll have won the championship <laughs> and Europe, and Bruce will be making it a special celebration for us. And, and I kind of made some smart-ass comment while going away feeling really wounded inside because I thought, it's not impossible that might happen. How awful <laughs> that would that be? And so at that stage, at that stage, I thought, I'm not going. That's the only way it can be safe. I'm not going. Dave, was it the football that put you off? Yeah. That is unbelievable. I think there will no, be people out there. Terrible it was, no, confession. It was the, it was the, it was the, the possibility Surely of having the... his nose rubbed in it yeah, <laughs> for two whole hours of a well, Bruce Springsteen. So, also. okay, you're fair. All right, so public enemy, come along, and they're going to play at the City of Manchester Stadium, or whatever we call it. I remember going Eastlands, to... whatever. Yeah, what do we call I do it? Going Are to... you going to go, Matt? I do remember going to see uh, Oasis at... Um, uh, the Elland old Road? Uh, uh, no, the old uh, city stadium. Uh, Main Road. Main Road. Um, in the kind of height. And you, height and you didn't feel good about it? I didn't it, feel did. very good about it. It had to be said. <laughs> had to be said. But isn't a lot of it to do with just seeing somebody in a, in a giant football stadium? You know, no. I saw Bruce Bruce in recently, actually, in the, in the O2 Dome. 22,000 people there. Pretty good. Oh, sure. It's pretty good. Oh, I mean, listen, you know, he's uh, good at it. screens, and it's very theatrical. You feel involved. But 20,000 indoors is very different from 60,000 outside. In the rain. And also, no, when no it didn't rain. I think, rain I think the anyway. weather was very good. Oh, was but the point is, you're looking at everything else apart from the stage. Whereas in, also, a, in a venue indoors, you are focused on the stage. Yeah. And also, whenever I've been to, and there's not many times, but whenever I've been to see a gig in a big stadium, there's very few people that are in the best place to watch the gig, which is kind of on the, on the turf, looking at the stage at one end. Yeah. So what you're doing is, invariably, you're sat high up in the stands, looking away to one side. It's like watching a football match. What that only takes place with a few one, players in one goal. Yes, you know it's yeah. weird. You just, it's like watching Tottenham looking in the right. <laughs> <way>. <laughs> it's like watching QPR play anybody <laughs> and look the other way. Yeah. Well, I think but anyway. I think there were people people out there who will who will sympathise with me. But anyway, I, I read the reviews. Everybody said he was absolutely fantastic. I'm sure he was. 58 years old and can drop. To his knees. Mark Ellen, I want you to stand up right now. <laughs> Not right now. Do that. I was right now. That. I'm going to try that. Go on, that, try that. Dave, you do, I just don't to, even I dare do it. You simply don't dare do it. Bruce Springsteen is, of course, very considerably older than me. And, <laughs> but he still slides along the stage. Now, he so slides. I assume that he must have... I'm going to have to use the expression protective pads. He has padding. Reinforced pads. <laughs> That's great. Do you, reckon, do, you close, do you know You know when you get a carpet fitted? You get yeah, fellas yeah. coming around with like big knees. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Do you reckon he's got really big knees? He used oh, to be a has. carpet fitter. <laughs> maybe his knees. <laughs> maybe his knees just naturally grown. Yeah. No, is that what you're saying? Scar yeah. tissue. 
from years of Scottish. He yeah. looked, he looked his like knees, a, his knees, like the soles of anybody else's feet. He looked like one of those Bash Street kids <laughs> in the Beano cartoon. They have really big knees. They all stick out. I have <laughs> seen, I've been as Zanchak with Bruce Springsteen, and I've seen him practice that knee slide. They, they put some, they, they, they kind of grease they, they the... They the floor. They, they do. They put something down so that it's easy, you know, so that relatively easy. I mean, crying out. But he's still you know, Your jeans was nearly gone far out. Yeah, yeah. for, for those who haven't seen it, he takes a... It, and we're dealing with a very wide stage here, yeah. aren't we? You know, I don't know how many yards, but it's a long old yeah. way. And what takes he, a run at it. He takes he? a run at it and then drops to his knees and slides yeah. across yeah. the stage. Sparks flying off. Casey, he sets light to his trousers. <laughs> you can <laughs> <to> Casper <laughs> off his, off his chins. Yeah. <laughs> People hosing him down with foam afterwards. Have you seen he also does that thing where he has the mic stand, the main mic oh, stand? Oh, yeah, it's, kind of plumbed, it's plumbed, plumbed in. into the stage. Oh, so it's off. as if they've got concrete yeah, underneath yeah, yeah. it so that he can lean on it and yeah. hang off it like a yeah. bus stop, like a drunk on a bus yeah. stop. It's absolutely fantastic sight, isn't but it? But I love the idea also that you see him. I mean, I remember seeing him play that solo show. You were there in Brixton Academy. And then yeah. soon after that, or not soon after that, but then there was the, there was the Pete Seeger show, and then there was the big stadium show. And he's really a very, very different personality. Isn't oh, yeah. Because obviously, the Pete Seeger show is this respectful, although a rambunctious uh, folk uh, rendition to the great uh, you know, folk anthems du jour in the 50s. And then suddenly, so it's all quite sort of, you know, there he is in his little... It's rousing. He's it's all rousing, but he's got his old uh, Depression-era, you know, chic kind of, uh, you know, leather waistcoat on and uh, old baggy trousers and stuff. And then you see him two weeks later, he's a different guy. He's hanging upside down off a microphone, <laughs> as I said, trying to set his trousers on fire. I mean, it's actually like a sort of, like a 15-year-old. Do you, ever, do, you ever, <coughs> do you ever look at him during a show, though, and think, that man is having the most fun ever invented oh, yeah. in the history of humanity? He, you know, at the age of 58, he's getting to do that <laughs> and thoroughly enjoy it. You know, not regarding it as a duty or anything like that. He's thinking, Loving. this is the best yeah. fun I could ever possibly yeah. have. Well, Job satisfaction. Absolutely. The word. So, contrasted with Amy Winehouse at Rock in Rio. Yeah, she was having a lot of fun. Though. Oh, dear. <laughs> Not on stage. We'll put, that, we'll put the link to this on, on the site. Amy Winehouse, in between, you know, turning up in court to support her, uh, you know, her husband and so forth, and keeping the British tabloids full of, uh, of stories about... What was, she, what was she doing last week, Matt? She was, she was cleaning in the middle of the night, wasn't she? In the street or something like that. Well, She's out with street. a hoover. She's out with a hoover, hoover in the, the road. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was just bizarre. Well, that's very public spirit, isn't um, it? She's but it, joining a neighbourhood watch next. Yes. Watching herself. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> she found a, she found a time in her busy schedule to go and play Rock in Rio. And, and all I ever see of South American gigs is millions of people. Do you know what I mean? All smoking facts. <laughs> yeah, on a beach. All smoking facts. Health and safety has not reached Brazil <laughs> yet. Uh, and uh, and she delivered, she's obviously a very big deal over there, isn't she? There were hundreds of thousand people all chanting Amy. And all was set fair for her to deliver an epic, triumphant performance. I get the feeling from the edited version I've seen on YouTube, she didn't, Matt. <laughs> I think it was less than a triumph, wasn't it? I think it was a little bit... It was more of a shambles. Let me see if I can guess that. <laughs> did she turn up late? She did. Yeah. So first was her hair a bit on time? <laughs> did she look distracted? Dragged through a hedge backwards. That's the right. expression they always use in the paper. I've seen her live so, several times, actually, so I know exactly what uh, they, they she, she turned up late. She apologised for being late. Repeatedly. She apologised for... Uh, Apologising for her late. voice being ruined. All right. And she apologised for um, having... 
um, hurt her wrist so she, could, so she couldn't play the guitar. So let's get this straight. She turned up late, <laughs> she couldn't sing, and she couldn't, couldn't play, play the guitar. guitar. So, so which bits of the musician's contract did she deliver on? Is that, did they still get the cheque? <laughs> this is legally, we were running fairly close. Why? I think that's what the trading standards would call not of merchantable quality. <laughs> Were well, there 100,000 people angrily demanding a refund? You, you'd get a good hearing at the town hall, wouldn't you, you really on that? Would. You know, I paid, you know, £100. I, pounds. I, I know. I, my, my Portuguese isn't good enough to know whether or not they yeah. were shouting, go, Amy, go, or where's, our, where's yeah. the promoter, we want our cash back. But, uh, yeah. It looked like... a kidney to get in. That's a very bad Rio <laughs> joke, sorry. She's, um, move she's, on, that's appallingly bad. <laughs> I saw her... Um, Performance at the Ivan Novello Awards the other day. I'll tell you about that. I haven't seen it. No. no, I went to the Ivan Novello's, which is the. Terrific, oh, did you go to that? Oh, yeah, terrific occasion. It's. I really. I, I can't think of enough nice things to say about it because awards shows normally are, as you know, very tense, very fragile events where nobody, certainly in rock music, um, feels they dare say anything either serious or soulful or sentimental or of any genuine value at all, actually. Yeah. Anything apart from some flip and aggressive comment, because they think that Liam Gallagher's going to throw a meringue at them. And, uh, but at the Ivan Novellos, you can get up and make a long speech about the craft of songwriting, because frankly, Kathy Dennis or Phil Collins is no different from different Tilbrook it's or, you know, David Gilmore or Pink Floyd, you know. But anyway, <laughs> Amy Winehouse... Uh, inevitably, and quite rightly, won, I think, several awards, but didn't show up. So her dad gets up to um, accept the award for her. And her dad is... If I was, if I was in television... Mitch. Mitch. Is it Mitch? Uh, Mitch would have his own show. Because Mitch, as I'm sure you know, is, is a former taxi driver. They ought to bring, ba- bring back Minder. They ought to bring, bring back Minder and put Mitch behind the, behind the bar at the Winchester Club. Yeah, they be right, <laughs> absolutely But he's perfect. absolutely fantastic. He came up, I've never seen V80. anybody... <laughs> I've never seen anybody look more relaxed with the whole idea of public speaking. Not, so, that, not relaxed like his daughter looks. No, relaxed, no, 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 absolutely no. No, just more easily. So a, a, ca- a cab driver that. relaxed at public speaking. But, uh, that's the point. <laughs> because all no, they all talk. And he had that wonderfully kind of informal way of talking to you as if he had literally just slid back a, a little glass window. And Tedros said, you won't believe what I've only got done now. Eh? Those gibbons of the government. Eh? I can't believe it. What's his name? Brown. He won't last. And that, and that, he was actually leaning on this podium. I've got to tell you that I'm quite close to this. So I'm, I'm, I'm on the edge of the top tables. Right. Uh, as a course word magazine ought to be. And uh, so we have David Gilmore. We have Phil Collins. We have all these. I mean, all these guys are right underneath him not phased at all and he gets up and he says first he says um, he's got, he's got a, a, a bit of paper with some notes written on it and things that Amy has asked him to say uh, and <laughs> the first thing he says is, is he puts on a pair of bright red glasses and he says uh, I've been given these uh, reading glasses by an, ex- an ex-wife I don't think he said my ex-wife he just said an ex-wife <laughs> quite cool in itself he said, I tell you what, she, I think she's only deliberately gone and given me the wrong strength. I can't read a bloody thing. So this is quite good. He's been stitched up by his ex-wife. <laughs> and then he basically said, look, I want to thank, uh, Amy wants to thank various people, you know, the record company and, um, you know, the A&R department. He said, and also, he said, okay, I, I don't know if there is such a thing as the Victoria Cross in the music industry, but her manager quite clearly deserves it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was absolutely wonderful. But anyway, so yeah. So he but said, then... Well, he ought to, I mean, maybe if you could learn the guitar and sing a bit, you could do all that. But uh, then, Mark... You know, onerous duties for... Yeah. In a classic example of how rock stars want their cake and eat it, or what my mother used to call the toffee and the halfpenny, 
She wants the, the toffee in that. <laughs> she wants. Brilliant. She wants the notoriety of not turning up, together with the the enjoyment of actually turning up. So she turned up half an hour later. She did. She t- I missed her. I went Which is clearly, yeah. she's obviously sat round the corner yeah. in a pub yeah. and thought, well, I'll wait. I went through down all over. a couple of pints of Cronenberg. Just wait till the maximum impact. And then My I'll dad's turn done up. all the work. My dad's trousered the gongs. Go in there and swan about. I think that says more about pop stars than cash ever can, actually. That You know what I mean? That if you say to them, I tell you what, you've got to turn up in an hour, you've got to, you've got to make a little speech, they're absolutely terrified. Terrified. As soon as the obligation is gone, they think, I'll turn up and get all the, you know, all yeah. the plaudits. could have made a brilliant speech. A magazine, a website, a podcast, The Word. One of the things we were talking about in last week's podcast, where we had Paul Denoyer and uh, Rob Fitzpatrick, was the subject of African-American soul legends or musical legends who ended up living in unusual provinces of the United Kingdom. Bucolic parts of That it. we were talking about. Yeah, that Matt, I think, that his, his conversation topper was that Pee Wee Ellis, formerly of James Brown's band, lived in Froome in, in, uh, in the West Country. And, and brilliantly, still does. Somebody put up on the, somebody on the, um, on the website puts a link to Pee Wee's MySpace page. And he does. And where they have Pee Wee Ellis. And, and, you know, and then they have... Location and it's Froome, Somerset. The soul of Froome. That's fantastic. But anyway, this resulted in many people getting in touch. Uh, Fraser, (laughs) getting in touch, Fraser in the office, pointed out that Linda and Cecile Womack. This is classic. Who are, is Cecile Cecile Bobby's brother, I think? Yeah, that's right, yeah. 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 Is it Redditch? They live in Southend on Sea. (laughs) But not only. Not only that, but they now operate under the names of Zek and Zeria. Zacharias. I think there's a there's a hint of, there's a touch of the new age religion there. Dear oh God, there's got to be a conversion. I think they've been abducted by aliens and taken to South they End. Have. Um, <laughs> their so, brains washed. So that's a good one. Uh, John Z. <laughs> I don't know whether this. <laughs> oh, is this, this my, is this my this is, Didn't Edwin Starr live in a spa in Croy? Live over a spa in Croy? <laughs> and he doesn't mean a, he doesn't mean a hell spa. He means the from no supermarket. Edwin Spa. He lives in a spa. No, Edwin Spa. He lives yeah. above Spa. <laughs> That's very good. That's very yeah. good. So somebody says he didn't live here, but in 1968, Muddy Waters performed at Snape Maltings in Suffolk, <laughs> and my granny served him food. I love That's the idea excellent. of him being in, in Snape. Uh, but uh, what about Ted Major Lance once lived in Benfleet in Essex. Major lands of um, mm, 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 fame and monkey time and so <laughs> forth. He lived briefly in Benfleet. He was on an extensive UK tour at the time. This is Marmite Boy who's got in touch and told of this. And, uh, and his, son, his son Damien. <laughs> his son Damien went to my junior school. And I've lost the one about Kid Creole. No, Where, the, the, can you remember it? Last, yeah, it was the top one. Quite rightly, it's the one at the back, at the bottom of the. Um, Actually, I've got some more before we get to Kid okay. Creole. Desmond Decker lived in Thornton Heath. Fantastic. That's very good. That's Edwin quite Starr. Quite. Edwin Starr did not live above Spa. He lived in a village near Tamsworth called Polesworth, which was rechristened by local DJ Les Ross as Salsworth, which is pretty yeah, good. But, no, but finish that story, because that's a fantastic thing, that one day while doing his shopping, um, <laughs> Edwin came across a BRMB roadshow. And put and down his carrier back. Put down his carrier back and just got up and did a few turns. And told everybody like, what like was Like a circus horse, just yeah, programmed yeah. to get yeah. on stage. I so, can hear the music. That's brilliant. And so the climactic <laughs> one is the final one there, the which I'm going I'm to hand it to is Matt to read. The, the last the, one there. The August Darnell, a.k.a. Um, Kick Creole, apparently now lives in Urmston, Manchester. <laughs> and I just have this fantastic image of... of 
Kid Creole in a salmon pink zoot suit yeah, with yeah, a hand painted yeah. silk tie and a yeah. fedora with a, a coconut on either arm <laughs> popping down to the corner shop to pick up his copy of the Daily Mirror and Ted Capstan. <laughs> it is amazing when you consider for about a year Kid Creole was the biggest and the hippest thing in music in the UK, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, I would it just it. was. He couldn't, he, you couldn't pick up a smart Sunday paper or, or tune in to the South Bank show or whatever. Without he was so big that even his loyal left-handed right-hand man, Cody Mundy, Cody Mundy, had a, a couple of hits. Mino Cody Mundy actually, I think, uh, Cody Mundy actually got uh, on the cover of the face. You're an didn't Indian he? too. He was. He was on the cover of the face. I'm an Indian too. Is different. That's Doctor Armando's seventh, second album for the new Rumba Band. You sure, it wasn't Which is a great record. Well, they changed the name. Oh, right. Dr. Buzzle's original Savannah Band, yeah. and then Doctor Armando's original Seventh Street Rumba Band, or something. I'm an Indian too. It's a great record. It's an old Gershwin song. It's a brilliant song. record, but you yeah. probably wouldn't be allowed to do it now, would you? Because it's got Native American Indian <laughs> cartoon accents in it. Yeah, I'm a Navajo. I'm a you know. A, it's like have you ever a heard, have you, have you, you know you're an Indian too. Recently, I mean, it was a couple of years ago on Sounds of the Sixties on Radio Two, they played um, um, "My Boomerang Won't Come Back." And if you ever listen to that, oh, now, Tony, can no, no, my boomerang won't come back. All right. It's, a, it's Charlie Drake. Yeah, and B. <laughs> There are some really interesting um, attempt takes on an Aboriginal accent for the backing vocals, and lots of words, lots of sentences beginning with um. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sure. Think, well, it's like it's well, like I've got a Timmy Kangaroo dance balls. If you get to the later verses, the, the great Rolf Harris, yeah. and I, I defer to nobody in my admiration of Rolf. I think Rolf is brilliant. Um, but the later verses, one of the later verses is "Let me abos go loose." That's right. They're of no further use, They're Bruce. They're no further use, Bruce. Yeah. <laughs> Got a bit quiet about that. <laughs> I have to plug a column coming up with the next issue of Worm, which is out in about ten days' time, I think, by Jim Irvin, about this very subject, actually, which is really cool. Oh, right, he talks on. about, he's watching, um, I suppose it must be American Idol. They had a special programme that just did Lennon McCartney songs. And he said he was amazed by the fact that you always imagine no Lennon McCartney song can ever be kind of broken, if you like. They're, they're <laughs> Lennon McCartney, so they've got to be classic. And he's watching She's a Woman with its line, uh, my love don't bring me presents, I know that she's no peasant. And I think he was thinking, this is just such a terrible lyric. And from this, he, he, he generally extrapolates this concept, that there are songs whose life is over. You know, the son has got his hat on, which I think talks about tanning niggers down. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it's appalling stuff, you know. And there's just certain songs you can't do. And it's quite interesting to think that the Beatles are producing songs. Not that they're, you know, in any way not PC or anything. They're just kind of knackered. That's not all the big... He said Michelle. He said it was a tired concept. Oh, there it is. Michelle, you know, the idea that you're trying to chat up some girl but you don't really know the lingo. If you know, it's a pretty it, sad old... If we're going to hand a number of Beatles songs the revolver and show them where the billiard room is and tell them... <laughs> Do, do the decent do thing. The, do, the, do the decent thing for the regiment. Yes. yes. Led uh, I, th I think we should also close. You know, following Michelle is yesterday. Oh right. You see, I think yesterday you were saying Maxwell Silverhammer, and I love me too because those are the obvious ones. Oh, it's not a song. It's it's a record. It's, it's hardly a, it's a musical pastiche. It's, it's, I can forgive Maxwell Silverhammer, but yesterday is dull. And dreary. But to be fair, it goes they, on for him. But the, you know, the the science teacher or something is brutally murdered yeah. by a, oh, a yes. homicidal maniac, underage, I'd say, with a with a sort of you know with a with a, with a very blunt instrument, isn't he? Which seems unkind. Well, this is why I mean, the uh, bad reflection on the uh, favourite old subject, state school education yeah. system. Is it tricky? Tricky game to worry about current teachers. Of course, brilliantly, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, well, thirty or forty. Years. <laughs> 
president. Yes. It's, we keep talking about doing this feature is that, you know, all the violent stuff that's celebrated in rap music was celebrated in blues music and jazz music oh, yeah. 40, 50 years ago. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Half the songs of Joe Turner and Louis well, Armstrong and people like that were about murdering women. Who well, wouldn't. the article in the current edition, which is just a list of all the vile murders that happened in English... Uh, Oh yes, there is absolutely over over forty years ago. I see. I see. Tricky is now saying that uh, that hip hop has to bear some of the responsibility for um, for juvenile for knife crime, current right. epidemic of. I don't know if anybody's you know blaming Jimi Hendrix for you know the, the sentiments of Hey Joe. Yeah, we're not exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I shot my lover down. I shot her with a gun. Yeah. You know, in case you didn't have the idea. It's yeah. pretty I, I did the shooting, by the way. Yeah. Or, of course, the man who shot a man in Reno just to watch him just die. Just to watch him yeah. die, who yeah. is now described as the last American hero. There's a documentary on the other night about Johnny Cash. <laughs> uh, now, I'll be honest, I didn't watch all of it. I was flicking about. Because I could tell from the billing that it was basically one of those things saying, Johnny Cash, great American artist, great, great libertarian you know, great, great thinker, great rebel, great iconoclast, and I'm thinking bollocks. Great philanderer, Johnny, great yeah. boozer, great drug addict. Yeah, the point about Johnny Cash, Johnny Cash, you don't have a career for as long as Johnny Cash went on in the United States without trimming to the wind, you know, at times. Johnny Cash yeah, and also, supported know. absolutely everything in his yeah. time, and I don't blame him at all for it, you know, but the idea that that once he was kind of rediscovered by Rick Rubin, Rubin and had his picture, very good picture taken by Andy Earle, and, you know, which launched a whole school of kind of, oh, this is the real country. This is a real man. This is a real thinker. Genius and everybody Martin. was able to reinvent Johnny Cash, rather than the, the, the guy who wrote the, you know, A Boy Named Sue. You, <laughs> you also don't have a career as long as Johnny Cash is without being deeply naff for a very large part. Yes. I would, you know. But unless you're deeply uh, naff. Uh, Popper sang bass, for instance. It's a, it's, a, it's a dreadful song. He's made, he was but, a terrible but don't you think you need a, a period of being deeply naff in order for people to thoroughly enjoy your recovery yeah, and general, uh, you know, reconstitution? No, but what I loathe about it is like Tom, Tom, Tom Waits has never had a period of being deeply naff, ever. I suppose the way yeah, he's, he's never been that by, popular by, either. No, well, in, yeah, no, no not, not Johnny Cash. No, not on that kind of scale. What, what so, I resent about Johnny Cash is his adoption. By a what I resent about Johnny Cash. He comes over here and he sings on and he sings be, be, I don't resent anything about Johnny Cash. I love Johnny Cash. But the, the Johnny Cash cult that is entirely attached to his later years, where you know a bunch of people that think, oh, I can deal with country music as long as it's written by Tom Waits and Leonard Cohen, you know, produced by Rick Ro Rubin and photographed by Andy Earle, presented to me in a certain fashion. What I can't deal with is the kind of corny, sentimental, patriotic stuff. Well, that is country music. Yeah. It's all Precisely. that stuff. Porter you know, Wagner is a damn sight more country. Than well, you know, it's just the whole package. You can't take the bits you like. I no, love that old country, Dave. I love it's, it's all kinds of country music with you know with A levels or something. Isn't yes. it? Like country music through the Guardian. Yeah, country music with people are born and brought up in in, in the town. You know, yeah. went to university in the town, never country. been near the country <laughs> in their life. <laughs> anyway, enough of that. The late, 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 late show, which is one thing we were talking about on the website, uh, about the fact that the only dramas that the BBC commissioned seem to be about dead comics nowadays. Oh, about yeah. About Frankie Howard and people like that. I've got to just draw your attention to the fact that somebody was, was extending this argument, that Danny Boy was extending this argument that there should be the Bob, <laughs> the Bob Harris story. <laughs> 
starring David Tulis, complete with classic Sid Vicious episode. He said that, uh, that Anne Nightingale would be played by Sharon Stone. Andy Kershaw would be played by Nicholas Lindhurst. And, and, and then Freddie Owen uh, <laughs> realised that Mark and I would feel very left out if we weren't given parts. He said that oh, Ellen, I think seen it. Ellen, yeah, on, yeah. Ellen and Hepworth should be played by Tim Robbins and Goldie Hawn. <laughs> Doesn't that make me Tim Robbins and you yeah. Goldie Hawn? I'm <laughs> loving this idea. <laughs> I'm the pretty this one. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> but it got me. I was thinking about this this morning coming in. Now I'm not suggesting that, that, that there isn't a story absolutely everywhere in TV, but you think of some of the personalities involved with the whistle test. There is a bit of a story there. You can get a good comic episode out of the Bob Harris, Bruno Brooks arguing about the record collection thing. <laughs> you know the. the Annie, Annie Nightingale. Are you, you suggesting know, a, what, a TV drama based I'm, on the whistle? Is this what it is? Or this is the... I'm suggesting that the reason that these things are being done nowadays is they're looking around at the landscape of television and realizing there's a story absolutely everywhere. Oh yeah, and particularly well, in, in terms that... of anybody who's familiar, is really familiar to the public. You can tell quite a slight story. And people are really interested. Well, did you see that documentary about the enemy? I mean, obviously, the real Nick Kent was played by Nick Kent. It wasn't like they, they wrote in any sort of famous actors, but it was absolutely riveted. Especially, obviously, I worked on the enemy. But I mean, there is, uh, you know, they ought to do it on, uh, you know, various other magazines. Though, really. So they now, did smash his, didn't they? Obviously, if Mark and I were still doing the whistle test uh, on the BBC in 2008, we would be included in the mysterious list of BBC presenters. Oh, BBC people. The, the big report, the scandal about, are oh, the BBC overpaying? And they issued a report yesterday. Well, they didn't let us see the report, did they? They just told us the conclusions of the report. That 40 people at the BBC are paid a million or more. 40 examples of talent Sorry, at the BBC. And apparently this doesn't include the sainted Terry Wogan, who gets a mere 800,000. But I like the thing I read in the Times uh, uh, coming in this morning, uh, which I thought was brilliant, was that, uh, that Jonathan Ross, they were quite happy with his £18 million three-year contract. Thought that was completely fair. Paxman, they had to concede, overpaid. A bit worried. They pay him a million pounds a year. They thought maybe they'd have to lop a few quid off. Because so well, I wonder how Paxman feels Well, the basic, the, basic the, the argument there is Paxman couldn't go anywhere else. Whereas John, Jonathan Ross could. Well, there I'm not so sure Jonathan Ross could. I don't think anybody could go anywhere else. Well, that's what justifies it. Is they're, they're claiming that there are counter bids coming in from ITV. There is a quote here from Sir Michael Lyons, chairman of the BBC Trust, which I want to just draw your attention to. He said, many, many licence fee, fee payers value some of the most expensive performers on BBC television. I'm saying, Sir Michael, bollocks. <laughs> I'm saying I'm so there are many, many other licence fee payers. No, but here's, the, here's my point. This is, people, people don't sit and watch the television and go, I really value so-and-so. That's not how they watch the television, is it? Let's assume, let's say, let's take, let's take a leap in the dark. Let's say that one of the million-pound-plus people is Gary Lineker, right? I've got nothing against Gary Lineker. I like Gary Lineker. But he is no better at that job than Adrian Charles or anybody else would be. And if they swapped him from Adrian Charles, people like you and me, Matt, would probably think that's better. Yeah. But most people would switch over and go, where's that nice Gary Lineker? And it's not that they don't sit there and think, Gary Lineker, he's really good at it. They just think, he's dead famous. Yeah. You know what I mean? He belongs in my living room. It's a, it's a different argument. You, know? you can't sit there with top TV talent and go, are they really talented? It's not the point. I think one of the ways you can calibrate uh, the degree of affection 
uh, from the general public is to do with sales of autobiographies. And again, there's a, there's a piece in the next issue about this. It's very interesting. We, we, we've gone through all the autobiographies that are coming out this Christmas, right? And it's brilliant because basically, um, uh, you know, Parkinson is signed up very early on to write his autobiography. So the publishers of Parkinson are sitting back thinking, this is brilliant. We've got Parkey. We're going to win. This is going to be an absolute blockbuster. The people love Parkey. Then the phone goes, bad news. Paul O'Grady has also signed up to do his autobiography. And then worse news, so has Jonathan Ross. And Anton Deck apparently working on theirs. So, you know, the whole thing. And it's very interesting because you just Anton don't Anton Deck's will be interesting. I wonder at what point the story stops. <laughs> oh, yeah. But also, I love the idea I'm, that Anton Deck... I'm looking Deck... forward to the executive production chapter. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. <laughs> <laughs> but don't you like the idea that Anton Deck, who brilliantly uh, lampooned as uh, Antor Deck, who was in love, actually, could have never done anything separately at all in their lives, uh, let alone write their autobiography. They're writing an autobiography together. It's fantastic. Maybe half it's Anton, half it's Deck. It's not going to sell. Do you know, I don't know. Maybe I not. don't I think it's going to sell. Those be, those what, what sells is the idea that there's a personal story. That's why Russell Brand. What they want, Russell Brand is the best example because it has to have that trajectory of, uh, you know, completely chaotic. Uh, yes. You know, ideally drug dependency, promiscuity, uh, general living in a squat. So you're out of it. So, yeah, that's right. And uh, and then a recovery, a massive a hockey stick type. Yes. You know, Philip back into public affection and. Uh, Watch those sales. In fact, Russell Brand has also got an autobiography coming out this year. Another is this, one. Is this the clean one? This is My Bookie Wook 2 or whatever. Oh. Another one. Oh, yeah. Christ. Anyway, talking of uh, TV personalities and major confessions. Now, I know Fern Britton, who we always get confused with Fern Cotton. I do. Fern Cotton. So easy to do. Fern Cotton. <laughs> Blonde, almost identical. Fern Cotton, blonde. Told me about this story. I actually got confused there and there. Fern, Cotton, yeah. Fern Cotton, blonde, young, pops up at Live Eight, going wicked. Yeah, yeah. basically. Fern, isn't this the best day ever? Yes. She never asks questions, does she? No, Fern, is Fern Britton, um, Philip Schofield's TV other half on ITV yeah. morning shows, yeah. and has been around for forever, and he's very good. But she is constantly, the women's magazines and the women's pages of the papers, constantly returning to the fact that compared to most on-air talent, in, female talent, she's, she's quite large. Yeah. yeah. And so she signed up as the spokesperson of Rai Vita. Yeah. Yeah. And she manages to lose how many stone? It was quite a few. It was, it was, it was, it was a, a lot. lot of stone. Yeah. It was a lot. So she's trousering, Dave, an enormous check from Rivita in order to say that this weight loss is through Rivita, I assume. Through, through, you know, eating you nothing but those delicious but, biscuits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like that bread they used to have in the 70s, nimble. Yes. Do you remember that? Yeah. And there was a brilliant thing in the paper I remember at the time and somebody said that they'd been eating nimble for six months and hadn't got any thinner. And nimble's response was, you just haven't eaten enough of it. <laughs> Keep going. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, turns out <coughs> that she has lost this weight not just because of the, the all right diet, but also she's had what done, Matt? What is it? It's, it's a, a gastric band, Dave. <laughs> I think, Matt, you're going to have to say that once more. A gastric band, Dave. <laughs> Tonight in session, gastric band. <laughs> and three more from them. Four member of gastric band. <laughs> Bass. Two more from them. <laughs> <laughs> Right down so that's door. cheating, isn't it? I mean, she's had a gastric band. Oh, sorry, I've got to say, oh, yeah. So, oh, something else. Well, yeah, the gastric band. So they cheating. stapled my stomach it's, so it's I can't eat. cheating, according to the good people at Rivita. No, who've realized who they spent the money. And, uh, <laughs> we've got to and, make the and, most and of and it. And they're saying that, in fact, you know, Fern has um, 
spends a lot of time and effort in losing weight. And obviously a lot of cash down the, uh, down the gastric band doctors. Yeah, she's, um, and she's shelled out for a few hundredweight arrived each as well. That's yeah, not cheap, that's is it? Precisely. And yeah. it says, but one thing that I've noticed that kind of made me kind of, um, sit up and go, A, in the, in the Rye Vita statement, which she's worked really hard at losing, losing weight, including um, charity cycle rides, um, yes, both down the Nile, and where was the other one? <laughs> well, just down the Nile. She cycled down the Nile. <laughs> yeah, but that's not, you know, that's not something that people who are normal people trying to lose weight are able to do. They're not able to ring up their PR and go, get me on the charity cycle Get me to the Nile. <laughs> you want to take some exercise. Yeah, precisely. Where presumably, you know, not being funny, but she wasn't roughing it, I don't know. So presumably Fern is going to sign a book deal any day now in which she can tell the truth about yeah. it. You know, £11.99 in Tesco. Through Blake, thick and thin. John Blake Publishing are actually negotiating with the gastric band for uh, his side <laughs> of the story. Yeah. Oh dear. Well, it's, it's a good tale, isn't it? It's a good tale. Gastric um, fantastic. If you want to... If, 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 if <laughs> Sorry, you, <laughs> this <is>, Go on. <laughs> if you want to feed back on any of these gastric issues... Gastric. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Word, 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 oh, that's right. <laughs> Plastic gastric. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. who'd be a teacher? Um, uh, uh, wordmagazine.co.uk. Uh, don't forget to join the Facebook group. Hey, we're, we're nearly up to 900. Yeah, I think uh, we want a thousand, we don't we, Matt? Yeah, but you know. We want a thousand people every, to join the... journey starts with a few small steps. Uh, upstairs, Chairman Powell pointed out when he tried to get a Facebook group going. <laughs> uh, Somebody threw a pumpkin at him. Yeah. Yes. I wonder if there is a Long March Facebook group. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there will be now. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.